Year after year, one of the most consistent items on my do something list is to have fun with fashion. Exploring my personal style has added more joy to my everyday life and helped me feel more like myself on the regular. However, I have found that there are some brands I would love to explore more, but they are out of my typical price range. Or there's the it item that I would love to try out, but without the commitment of keeping it. Enter Armoire. With a clothing rental membership from Armoire, you can build the perfect wardrobe with brands that are high quality, unique, and recommended just for you. All you have to do is take a five minute style quiz and select items from your dynamic personalized closet. The styles show up at your door in as little as two days. Then when you're ready for new clothes, just swap them out for more new to you styles. I just did my quiz and have selected a few dresses for the summer from Bowdoin, one of my favorite brands that I can't typically afford. And I also got a double-breasted black blazer from a new-to-me designer, a classic item that I have been on the hunt for but too scared to commit to until I know it's the one. For you expecting mamas, for those who are working or those who are style-obsessed, who want to switch out your wardrobe with quality pieces without the designer prices, check out this woman-owned company that has your style and your sustainability in mind. Right now, my listeners can give Armoire a try and get up to 50% off their first month. That's up to $125 off. Just visit armoire.style slash progress. That's armoire.style, A-R-M-O-I-R-E dot style slash progress to get up to 50% off your first month and never worry about what to wear again. Try Armoire today. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Welcome to About Progress. I'm Monica Packer, a regular mom and recovering perfectionist who uncovered the truest model to dramatic but lasting personal growth. It's progress made practical. Join us to leave the extremes behind and instead learn how to do something to grow in ways that stick. When we fail at our habits, we find ourselves shaming and blaming ourselves. But women often miss the important fact that we must do habits differently. And it's not because we're weak, it's because we're not robots. To learn why, check out my free class, The Number One Reason Why Women Must Do Habits Differently at aboutprogress.com slash habit class. For every couple out there, there's a style of conflict. Some are avoidant, while others are confrontational. Some are constantly simmering, while others are explosive. Even the word conflict can make us react differently. And likely because no matter the style, conflict is uncomfortable. But if you want to be in a long-term relationship, having conflict is also unavoidable. And I'm even talking about the most successful long-term relationships. Our guest today is therapist Trevor Hansen. Not only does he want to help us reframe how we see conflict, not an inhibitor to a successful coupledom, but necessary to it, he wants to also help you get better at what he calls healthy conflict. This is the kind where we can come together with different fears, needs, and messages, but still come away feeling connected. Trevor is a marriage and family therapist associate who helps couples to create connected and secure relationships. He does this by guiding clients to better understand their negative cycles that drive disconnection in relationship and how to exit the cycle through vulnerable and connecting communication. You can find Trevor on his popular Instagram and TikTok feeds at The Art of Healing by Trevor. 
Before we start, just know this is one of those episodes you may want to take notes while you're listening to it, but just know we have a whole transcript for you, as we do with all of our Monday episodes, and you can find that transcript and any others you want at aboutprogress.com slash podcast, and it's all for free. Trevor, welcome to About Progress. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. This is an interesting topic. I mean, I think we all know conflict happens in relationships, period. Mm -hmm. And if we avoid it, it doesn't have the best results for us. But also if it's chronic and it's not the healthy kind, also not the best results for us. Yeah. So you're a therapist and I wanted to start by asking you why conflict does need to be a part of the relationship. Let's just start there. Yeah, yeah. So I think it, we need to approach it from asking ourselves, what is the definition of conflict? Because the word conflict itself can sound really negative and destructive, which at times it can be, right? I think that's our first association. But when we think about the word conflict or even confront, con confrontation, it's all about approaching things you know, directly rather than the opposite is avoidance. And so I think about, you know, good, healthy, quote unquote, like conflict, it doesn't have to look like escalated, you know, yelling and all that. That's, that's unhealthy conflict. Healthy conflict is where we're, you know, maybe we do conflict on an idea or a thought or an opinion, and we need to be able to sort that out with our partner. And I think it, without some level of healthy conflict, we wind up, getting into a hard spot where where we build resentment towards one another because we're mm -hmm. holding back we're we're sitting on things that we're upset about and then down the road that resentment is going to come out into that unhealthy conflict so no matter what you do you cannot avoid conflict you're either going to approach it in a healthy way or you're going to sit on it boil it up and become resentful and then it becomes an unhealthy way of approaching that same that same topic potentially, but in a way that leaves you disconnected rather than, than connected and close to your person. I can already see like the end from the beginning here, you know, good, healthy conflict can lead to good, healthy connection. So I'm not yeah. like, spoiler alert, we want to teach women how to do that, yeah. especially those who are in a married relationship. But I, I'm just curious though, first though, just my own curiosity, what drove this focus for you? Like when how did this come about for you that you're like conflict? This is something I really want to make sure we're talking about a lot. Yeah. It's just, it, I, it's at the heart of, it's at the heart of like disconnection is a misinterpretation of like intended messages or when we don't make what we're feeling overt, we're not approaching subjects with our person. Like you think about it, your partner, that's a, that's a strong word. That is your partner in crime. That is the, your partner in life that I think about a business partner, you know, the fundamental decisions that would have to be made in order to make an organization or a business run. My goodness, if, if they never, if they never approached the critical conversations, the mm -hmm. hard topics, the whole organization would fall apart. And, you know, maybe some people who are listening are, you know, have, have kids and some don't, but either way we think about, you know, structural family therapy. It's a whole discipline of, of approaching therapy and you and your partner, you are the executive system, you know, in line with this analogy of business and you are at the head, you're the strength of your relationship, the communication there, the clarity on what's going on within the system together really determines the health of the overall system in a great way. You know, I have a lot of people, sometimes, you know, I work primarily with couples, but oftentimes I'll work with like teens and kids here and there. And, you know, sometimes parents will come in and it's kind of like, Hey, here's my kid. I'm going to drop them off. And like, you fix them and like make <laughs> everything better. And I'm like, wait, hold on. I actually don't need to see them. I need to see you and your husband mm. or you and whoever, you know, whoever you're with, because that is the trickle down effect of the executive system. Wow. That's, that's one answer to your question, but it's, it's, I just see it impacting the family system so much that I love it. And it's, I don't know, from a selfish point of view, I think it's exciting. You know, sometimes individual therapy is great. It's really fun. I love it. But when there's two people in the room and there's kind of this like dynamic, we're playing a little bit of a tennis game between people, they're sharing, you know, you're watching them heal together. Like it's kind of exciting and it makes my job more fun. So from a, from a selfish standpoint, 
I like doing couples therapy just because it's a little bit, a bit more exciting. And I bet that's a lot of co- learning how to, to, you know, conflict, I guess, in appropriate, healthy ways. Yeah. But let's, let's move to that. Let's, let's talk about those who are dealing with chronic conflict that is yeah. unhealthy. It's damaging. It's, it's, it's creating tension in the, in the marriage and worse. I want to actually ask you first with conflict in general, when it's chronically yeah. happening, what is really going on with this conflict? Yes, that is a great question. So at the heart of disconnection is usually, or I say disconnection because it could be like really escalated conflict. It could be just like, oh, we just don't feel close. We don't feel connected. Both can be chronic and both really stem from the same place. So, and I have to kind of go back a little bit into this idea of of attachment. And some people who are savvy to like therapy terms might be familiar with the idea of attachment theory, which is this concept that says the way that we attach to our primary caregivers becomes kind of a foundational model for how we attach to others in the future. And it shapes our beliefs about the world. We Mm. may leave our home as a child with this belief that love is scarce, that you have to prove yourself in order to receive love, that it's not accessible or readily accessible. There's fears of abandonment. There's fears of not being good enough. There's, you know, longings to be close. And maybe the way we've learned to cope in situations is by people pleasing, you know, rolling over and just letting our partner do whatever they want. All of these form foundational patterns that two individuals bring into a relationship. Mm. And then there's a new attachment. All of a sudden, it's you and this person. Your most important attachments in life are your primary caregiver, your mom and dad, and then your intimate partners. Those are really the the foundational ones. And that's where we see, we, we see a kind of a connection and a tie. Well, they'll start taking on similar messages. But what happens in in these intimate partner relationships between you and your spouse is that there are messages about love, attachment, closeness being traded all of the time. Mm. Most of the time, they're covert. They're under the surface. And they sound, they kind of have two categories. There's disconnecting attachment messages and ones that are connecting. And I'll kind of give you examples of both. There's the, the disconnecting ones sound like, I'm not good enough for you. I'll never get this right. You don't love me. You're going to leave me. You're not there for me. Or I'm afraid you're not going to be there for me. I'm fearful is kind of is kind of the feeling. I'm fearful. I'm not enough. There's a whole bunch of that going on. The connecting attachment messages are, I'm going to be there for you when you need me. Hmm. You're more than enough for me. I'm not going to leave. We are close or you're not going to leave. It's like a it's a reflective kind of kind of process ones that say i'm safe with you i'm secure with you you love me you see me as a person you value me and you respect me those two messages when we can stop sending and receiving because sometimes Mm. it's a factor of just interpretation maybe your partner's trying to send a message that says hey i love you i want you close but all you hear is i they want me to be different i'm not good enough and i feel rejected and abandoned So being able to help couples make that really overt, like what are the messages we're sending? Yeah. It can, it, this, the reason people get stuck, I guess if I'm circling back to the question, long answer here, but I'm circling back. The reason people get in chronic disconnection is these negative attachment messages continue to get sent back and forth. And then the way we cope with those messages, when I hear that I'm not good enough, the way I respond and react, again, reinforces the negative attachment messages for my partner. And we can talk about this more in depth. It's a whole cycle. It's a back and forth cycle where I receive a negative message. I then send a negative message. They receive that message. They send one back. But at the, at the end of the day, neither of us are intending to do that. We're trying to say, I love you. I want you close. You're important to me. I'm afraid of not having you close to me, but we're hearing kind of the opposite. When you lay it out like that, if, if it's kind of one of those, like you, you 
you pat your head moment like duh like <laughs> of course this makes so much sense and yet we're all living it we have been living it for so long without recognizing that interchange happening the reinforcement and that cycle yeah and how it's so connected to either well i said the word disconnect or yep. connection and that's really the fork in the road where we do have a choice right with yes. conflict yes we can choose to you know to have conflict in ways that are connecting or ways that are disconnecting am i reading this right yeah yeah absolutely absolutely and it's 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 all about translation of messages what we're sending what we're receiving and it's it's so funny because nearly nearly every first or second session that i have with a couple we actually map out what we call the negative cycle we draw like a figure eight and this comes from emotionally focused therapy which is one of the most evidence-based and research-backed approaches to therapy it's kind of right up there you have gottman and emotionally focused therapy wow. but we'll we'll map out this cycle where we will actually show and we can kind of describe this if you're curious where we will actually show how your behavior and your partner's behavior reinforce negative disconnecting messages that then create more of that same disconnecting behavior maybe you know your partner is more likely to withdraw and shut down and kind of stonewall in the face of of conflict and you're more likely to get like critical and blame and pursue well my goodness there's deeper reasons behind all of that and once we start making that overt people I, I draw it on a whiteboard and everyone's like oh my gosh like can we take photos of this we want to take this home with us like this is yeah. this is us this is what we do but we never realized it mm -hmm. and so the first step in getting out of this negative cycle is just realizing it mapping it out i feel like this is true to every issue that we're working on in our lives the first step is really being able to see it for what it is to recognize it yeah but not just a surface level recognition, like you said, it's it's recognizing the deeper reasons, the deeper stories and experiences and patterns mm -hmm. that are brought to life. Acknowledge truly is power in this case, especially. So that was that was the first step you'd, you'd kind of advise people to do is, is get into that place of awareness. Yeah. What else can they do if they're like, we need to deal with this conflict better in a more connected way? Yeah, yeah. So I think I think to, to help your listeners understand how to make that that awareness come up i want to describe this cycle a little bit more because i think that it. within that you will find answers to your second question okay. so i'll describe a typical negative cycle and yours could look totally different whoever's listening and some people have a really highly escalated negative cycle some they're kind of low low cadence low frequency right but we all have them the moment when you don't feel connected with your partner you don't feel close most likely you're kind of getting in the cycle and if you have chronic you know disconnection there's you know real hard fighting you're definitely in the cycle a lot and what happens in the cycle and i'm going to give an example in in gender roles just because they tend to i tend to see this and the data shows that this is typical it doesn't always have to be this way however because actually the roles on on what i'm about to describe are actually kind of reversed in my own relationship so there's usually some sort of pursue withdraw type of relationship one is more pursuant one is more withdrawn and typically women are more likely to criticize blame you know get defensive or kind of get a little bit more i guess pursuant in that sense men are more likely to shut down stonewall withdraw both are disconnecting moves within the cycle so mm -hmm. if you were to imagine like a figure eight that we draw mm -hmm. and then we draw a line horizontally through that figure eight so it, it splits it up and down above the line are the things that we can see in the cycle and for mm -hmm. maybe one partner the female in this case let's say let's say she's she's criticizing and blaming and the guy is withdrawing and stonewalling we're seeing that on the top of the cycle that's all they see they see that and then maybe one or two emotions which is usually anger and frustration but they don't see much more than that mm -hmm. but what we find out is that when he withdraws what's actually happening for her are a handful of things there's usually a fear of some sort mm -hmm. there's usually a message and a need those three things are really important so what's her fear oh my goodness like i'm i'm afraid that that he doesn't love me he's just yeah. pulling away or that he's gonna do this forever one day that i won't have him or that maybe i'm not good enough he doesn't even have 
you know, the capacity to show up for me and listen, like, man, I, I'm, I'm not good enough for him. So she's, she's receiving those kinds of, and the fears and the messages, they're usually kind of meshed. They can kind of go back and forth, like messages, like I'm not good enough, but it could also be, I'm afraid that I'm not good enough. Mm. So there's fears and messages that are softer. They're deeper. They have to do with loneliness, rejection, abandonment, betrayal, all those disconnecting words that I talked about when we're receiving disconnecting messages. And she also has some sort of need in that moment. She's maybe needing reassurance, maybe needing to know that she is good enough, that he does love her or something of that sort. But maybe due to her upbringing or maybe just because life goes this way, her way of coping with that is to say, oh my goodness, I need to fix this. How do I fix this? Telling him what he's doing wrong, criticizing or blaming and saying, no, 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 you got to do it right. You got to do it different. Come, She's really trying to say, come close to me. This is how you can come close to me. This is how I, I want us to be close. But what is he here? Oh, we're going down the other side of the cycle now. He hears maybe, gosh, I can never get this right for her. She's always mad at me. And maybe due to his upbringing, his way of coping is to shut down and withdraw. When I got things wrong growing up, you know, I had to quote, be a man. I had to just shut my mouth and kind of withdraw. I don't, I don't know how to help. I don't know what to do. I'm afraid that this is going to turn into a relationship like my parents' relationship. You know, the fears, whatever the fears, the longings and the messages are, that's what's going on underneath the surface. And they go back and forth. He withdraws, she pursues, he withdraws, he, but underneath they had no idea. It's like, oh my gosh, I'm actually afraid I'm not good enough for you. Well, I'm afraid I'm not good enough for you either. Yeah. Wow. And I'm afraid to lose you because you're the most important person in the world to me. Well, I feel the same way. Holy cow. We just changed everything, right? My goodness. It changed everything. So first, being able to map out that cycle, asking mm -hmm. what's the more tender, the deep, the fears, the longings, the needs underneath that cycle is your big step one. And honestly, if that's all you do and you make that overt, that's really how we're going to start getting out of that negative cycle is staying in that, you know, your anger makes sense. You're hurt. Your anger is trying to help you and protect you, but it's not terribly helpful when you meet it up next to your partner. Mm -hmm. I never see, you know, it, in the movies, someone goes, you're the worst. And they scream or they throw a fit. And all of a sudden the moment person has this like come to Jesus repentance moment. And they're like, oh my gosh, like I, I do need to do something different. <laughs> doesn't really happen like that in real life. When we're soft, we're tender, we're gentle with ourselves and with our partner about what's underneath the cycle, we start to break it. I'm going to ask a really obvious question that is not so obvious and how it actually plays out. And it's what does conflict look like? And I'm going to say first, mm -hmm. because in my mind, when I think of conflict, I think of fighting. I think mm -hmm. of harsh words and yelling, mm -hmm. and that might be part of it, but maybe you can give us a full picture of what conflict looks like. Yeah. Conflict in, in my mind, I, a healthy conflict. Well, conflict can look like both. It can look like, it can look like fighting. It can look a whole lot different too. I think healthy conflict really rarely takes on the fighting. Like most of the time you are very, very ineffective. If you are, you know, yelling or using harsh words or any of that conflict really can look like what we've talked about today, which is getting down to that bottom side of the cycle, making overt your pains, your fears, your longings, sharing with your partner in a way that invites them to come close that like you hurt and maybe something that they did hurt you. And like, you know, that you, you're, con you're, you're bringing something to the table and, you know, so, and it doesn't always have to be that deep. If you're having conflict about, you know, an opinion on some sort of logistics thing, maybe it's not packed with all that, like kind of the attachment messages as much, but there's, there is kind of an underlying attachment message. If I respect you in the way we talk about, you know, how we're going to do X, Y, and Z, or what's going to happen our our vacation there again, is that underlying message that says, I love you enough that I'm going to respect you. I want to hear you. You're important to me. So I'm staying present. You're not necessarily saying those things, but you're showing up in a way that does that. And maybe you do need to say those things. Maybe you need to stop and say, well, hold on. I want to make sure the, the way we talk about this, like you feel that I care about you because that's important to me. We totally don't agree yet on this, 
but let me understand you a little bit deeper and you understand me. Most of the time, I would say in conflict, the goal should not be to convince the other person that you are right. If you are starting there, you are going to hmm. end there and it's going to be miserable. Your goal should, it's coming from Arbinger Institute stuff, which is seek to understand before being understood. Hmm. And you will change the dynamic of the outcome as well. Let's say you have a people pleaser in the room and they always just agree and they don't, before they even like fully understand why their partner needs something. I always tell people, don't agree to do stuff that you just don't agree with in your relationship. You will build resentment. And again, it will turn into nasty conflict rather than the kind that can be connecting. So what's the antidote? Increase understanding to the point where maybe you do have flexibility. Oh, oh, okay. I can see why that's important to you. You're important to me. I'm going to be flexible on that. Same with them. Okay, they increase understanding to the point where, oh, I, I get it. And this is different than compromise. Compromise is where I sacrifice something in order to meet you at, in a way that honestly like builds that resentment. But you're not sacrificing when you deeply understand your partner and you willingly move towards a new solution. It's, it's like, oh, yeah, this is cool. This is in line. This is natural. I can naturally move towards that solution. I'm not, I'm not carrying resentment. And one thing I wanted to clarify for people though, is like, even with unhealthy conflict, it can be the fighting, mm -hmm. the yelling, the criticism, it, it looks more overt. Can it also not be like the unhealthy conflict? How else can it look in ways that are oh, kind of yeah. sneaky? I wanted to hear oh, about yeah. the sneaky version of this. Yeah. Sneaky versions are like kind of, kind of covert criticisms, things that just send again, that message that says like, you need to be different in order to be with me kind of thing. Or like when you have two withdrawing type partners, conflict can look like silence mm -hmm. <laughs> where you're just not saying anything and you're just avoiding the topics. There's definitely can, I, I think the, the difference between as far as a feeling goes, healthy and unhealthy is one feels connecting and one feels disconnecting. That's I can perfect. conflict about something with my partner and it's like, oh wow, this is drawing us closer. I'm seeking to understand you. You're seeking to understand me. That's cool. The other one is you're either avoiding or we're sending like negative messages back and forth. It, it can, it, like I said, the negative cycle can take on a, a variety of temperatures. It can be really, really hot, really escalated, and it can look like just silence. Which I like because I think it's more of a feeling than maybe what you have to look for. Okay, mm -hmm. we can pay attention to the feelings. More on the how to have conflict in a connective way coming after the break. I've recently hit a rough patch with my own mental health with the addition of our fifth child. While a new baby has brought me so much joy, it's also come with a surprising amount of anxiety. I've needed to add more tools to my mental health tool belt. And for me, this has included an app I'm sure you've all heard about, but I can now wholeheartedly recommend Headspace. Headspace helps improve mental health through guided meditations, mindfulness practices, breathing and calming exercises, and so much more. I signed up for Headspace right before my baby's birth, but I had no idea just how essential it would become to helping me sleep in the middle of the night after I finally get the baby down, to calming my racing worst case scenario thoughts during the day, and to overcoming the overwhelm when all five kids need me at once. While there are thousands of exercises available to choose from, I personally appreciate that Headspace takes the guessing and scrolling out of the equation for me and offers up a list of daily options that are tailored designed for my needs. Most exercises can be done in just a few minutes. I typically spend around five minutes following a guided meditation at night when my anxiety peaks, but I've also found myself reaching for Headspace to start a nursing session off right with my little one. It's that perfect kind of baseline habit we talk about on the podcast. Headspace has helped me and more than 100 million people worldwide. They can help you too. Listen up. You do not want to miss this. I've arranged something special. 
For a limited time, all of you can try Headspace free for 30 days by going to headspace.com progress. You won't find this offer anywhere else. You must use my link H-E-A-D-S-P-A-C-E dot com slash progress to unlock Headspace free for 30 days. And this is not something they normally do. Headspace.com slash progress. I have written so many notes. Like I might, I have to turn the page. Like it's, it's just so many. And, and yet, you know, I, I have lived this. I've lived the difference, I think, of, of being yeah. able to arrive with, you know, one, recognizing there's a disconnect. And then mm-hmm. two, understanding more what's going on below the surface is part of that cycle you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Now, the third part to this to me is, is where it can get tricky. And that's where we okay. can fall off the path, right? And that's the, you know, you talked about map, what's the cycle right now and, mm-hmm. and the messaging and the fears that is going on there. And then, and, you know, and your needs too, and then make it overt. How do we do that? How do yeah. we make that happen in a way that is connective? Yep. and not disconnective. Yes, yes. So there's kind of this co-regulation and self-regulation principle where I'm in charge of what I feel, but I influence my partner dramatically with what I do mm-hmm. and they do the same thing. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes we get really caught in this narrative of like don't be codependent so much that we can't even be interdependent where we can't rely on each other and I I don't like that narrative sometimes that's Me too. I find it so there. frustrating. Yeah. Not yeah. realistic to real relationships, right? But yeah. yeah, there's a balance. There is what. a balance, right? And in this, you have a balance. Let's say I'm the pursuing partner. I tend to blame and criticize. And really what I need is I just I just want them to be close. I just want to know that they care about me, okay? Yeah. And I'm afraid I'm not, not good enough for them and that they might leave me. That's kind of a whole soup of things. So what, what do I need to do in that situation? Well, I know that my attempt, we call it an attempted solution, the, the blame and criticism is literally giving me the thing that I don't want. Mm. The more I do that, the more, you know, I'm afraid of abandonment. So what do I do, I criticize to get him to come close. What does he do? He abandons me more by shutting down and withdrawing. Mm. Not to say you're fully responsible for your partner's behavior, because obviously that that's a that's not a good narrative. However, you do impact it dramatically. And what do you have control of? You. And so if you can take 100% responsibility for that and say, okay, I don't know what else to do yet, but blame and criticism doesn't work. Hmm. Even soft blame and criticism doesn't work. I like to think of this. There's kind of different tiers. We'll take criticism, for example. There's, let's give the example of the criticism. You are never home on time. Boom. Straight criticism. What's the next level to that? The next level is okay, instead of just telling them the way they're getting it wrong, I'm going to ask for what I actually need. Okay. Okay. Hey, I would really appreciate it if you came home, you know, at a decent hour so, you know, we could spend time together. Oh, man. Even in that, I started to sprinkle in a little bit what I call the seeds of attachment so we could spend time together. It's the attachment reframe. This is what they teach me to do as a therapist is reframe the ask within the context of the attachment. I don't just want you to be home on time, but I want you to be home on time because I care about you because I love you. It kind of hurts when I'm alone in those moments when I just, I just been hoping to see you all day, you know, or I start to believe these things. You know, maybe, maybe we talk a little deeper conversation. Hey, I love being with you. You're the most important person in the world to me. We don't come home on time. I start to get confused about, you know, whether you do love me. And I, I, I love the benefit of the doubt. I'm going to sprinkle that in there where you can say like, I know you do love me, but sometimes, sometimes it feels like I get confused and I, it being together would mean so much to me. I love being close to you. Whoa. Okay. Let's pause and check in with him now, right? So we used to send him a message that says, you're not doing it right, you're wrong, you're always home late. Mm, Okay, we escalated that to a better place where we go, I need you to come home on time. That's a little bit better because now he's not hearing that he's just a piece of garbage and doing it wrong. And then we go next level and we sprinkle in that attachment where we Mm -hmm. actually send him a message that says, no, 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 no. It's not that you're getting it wrong. You're actually everything that's right in the world for me. And I want to be with that more often. 
Mm. I'm inviting. I'm taking criticism to invitation. It's same. a totally different thing. But you're you're doing the same thing. You're communicating what you need. And honestly, you're actually communicating what you need. When you criticize, you're missing so much of the picture. We call this concept congruent communication. Hmm. How you actually feel, what you actually need is congruent with what you're actually speaking. Yeah. I'm just, I'm saying, yeah, because like I, I can look back and think a lot of the times when it sounds like you're criticizing or you're withdrawing over a certain thing, yeah. it does not match what's really going on, what really no. is the problem and the needs that are not being met on both sides. Yeah. Yeah. And you, you look at withdraw too. Like we can take that example. I don't know how to show up for, let's say her, cause we're going along that same example. I don't know how to show up for her. I'm going to withdraw. Okay. So maybe there's two parts in here. One is, Hey, I, w- I want to show up better for you. Sometimes I, I don't know how this has been my pattern. I learned how to do this as a kid, but I want to break it because I love you, right? We're coming back to the attachment. You're important to me. I might not have the words, but just so you know, I want to be there for you. I want to listen. And then, you know, just, just engaging. I think about the two words that go with criticism and withdraw. The opposite of criticism is usually invitation and softening and withdraw is is engage is mm-hmm. kind of really the biggest word. Just just engage. Just stay. Yeah, even and, trying. Yeah, yeah. Just trying. And, and you know, there's there's kind of moves to engage. Like if you do feel a little bit more withdrawn, like I don't know what to say. Well, can I be empathetic and like just validate what my partner's saying? Like I might not agree with their stance. That doesn't matter at all. Their stance is their stance, and if they're feeling a particular way, all you can do is say, "Okay." How in my mind can I make sense of what they're going through? Oh, okay. If X, Y, and Z were true, then that that makes sense. You know, if I really didn't care about them, then of course, you know, they would feel so alone and, and abandoned when I'm not home, you know, when I say I'm going to be home or I don't show up to events. Like, yeah, they must really feel like I don't love them. Obviously, that's not true, but I can validate that. Ah, I can see how that'd be really lonely. I'm so sorry that that's happening. Tell me more. Tell me more is one of my favorite phrases. You're because mm-hmm. that is getting into the bottom of the cycle. Yeah. In the top, you're really trying to avoid it. You're like, how, what's the quickest way to get this done? I'm going to shut down, withdraw, avoid all this stuff. I'm going to get critical, and we miss all of the information. But if you slow down, even just like, even if you don't know what to say, and you're like, Trevor, this is a lot. I don't remember any of this. Well, you can just remember like gentleness and curiosity Hmm. are your friend. Hmm. If you just stay gentle and curious, you naturally will start to do the things that are the opposite of the disconnecting cycle. And for me, why that is, is when I think about the disconnecting conflict, the root is really fear. And you really broke that down for us with what's going on on the bottom half of the cycle. Mm-hmm. And the root of connecting conflict is love because yeah. of those those traits of arriving with gentleness and curiosity as you know being there to understand and to be understood is feels a whole lot different, yeah, than the reverse. so i I am imagining there are women who this has been such a chronic pattern in their mm-hmm. marriage, however long their marriage has been. This is so helpful, but they're also like, so how do I get started? Do I start? by having a really big, long conversation about what's under the surface or what, what, where do I go from here? Yeah. Yeah. That's a great question. If you're in chronic conflict and you feel like a conversation about what's below the surface will create more conflict because you're just not quite there yet, explore it on your own first. Take time just to get curious, draw out a figure eight. I mean, if not to plug my own resource, but I do have a free like little mini workshop plug on this. That, way. Come that you on. Can, we need, we need well, that. Well, you can, you can find a little mini workshop on this where I could basically teach the same principle and I have a worksheet that will That's guide fantastic. you through how do I deconstruct my negative cycle. It's a smaller portion of the connection course, which is my kind of flagship course for helping couples to decrease conflict and increase connection. And it's actually all meant to be taken individually because I know that sometimes partners don't want to don't want to jump in there. You're not quite there yet. But if you can change at least one half of the cycle, you've changed 50% of the problem. That is huge, right? Like, wow, I don't even have, 
my partner will never go to therapy. They never agree. Like, you know, you know, they don't show up right now. Hmm. Okay. Well, you have 50% of the challenge, right? Where you have influence on this. It doesn't mean again, that you're responsible for your partner's reactions and all that other stuff. But if you can start to look at, Oh, what are my disconnecting behaviors? And what are the messages that I'm sending to my partner? And what are potentially the more loving messages my partner's trying to send, but they're just not doing a good job at it, you know, because we, we both don't do a very good job sometimes at sending messages. I criticize, you withdraw, I get defensive, you blame. And it's like, really, we're trying to get somewhere. We love each other. We're still on the same team. We chose each other for a reason. But yeah, getting curious and making maybe guesses. Maybe you can't quite introduce your partner to this topic yet. Maybe you can. Maybe you just send them this podcast and like, hey, I want to talk about this. I want to think about this. I think this could help us do that. But I say, start with you. Just start with you. That is a huge, that, that can make huge, huge benefits as you do that. And then watch for it. When you want to get critical, when you want to withdraw, stay engaged, get soft, get gentle, listen for what are the messages I'm receiving from this mm -hmm. person? Is that what they're trying to send me? What am I sending them? Is that what I'm trying to send them? Can I stop? Can I hit the brakes and say, hold on, I think I'm sending you the wrong message right now. What I really want to send you is that I love you. And maybe that's it, right? Maybe it's not as complicated and flowery and whatever. It doesn't have to be. It's just like, I love you and it hurts to be disconnected. Whoa, that can put the brakes on a really heated conversation pretty quickly. back to regulation to me too, what you just said, you know, starting with just understanding our own half of mm -hmm. this negative cycle, our own figure eight can help us with the awareness piece and also how to arrive to it with that gentleness and curiosity, because we understand better so we can calm ourselves down better as we arrive yeah. to a conflict. Beautiful. Yes, yes, yes. And a, a big part of that also is, I mean, we haven't even touched on this, but exploring attachment history, like, how did I grow up? What were the influences around love? How, you know, were people there to comfort me when I needed it? Was one of my parents highly anxious and therefore, you know, maybe not emotionally present as well as they could be. And some people think like, oh, I got a great childhood. My parents are so nice and loving and they're awesome. And, and that can be totally true. And at the same time, you can have experiences that change your perception of love. And maybe you're as a present day, you know, adult human, overcompensating for these negative beliefs that you've constructed in childhood. And I, I say that you don't have to have a crazy childhood in order to have these happen because you look at, so as, and a, lo a lot of the attachment is actually formed before conscious memory. So what you remember, it, it kind of helps in ways because it gives you context for like, you know, if mom and dad were this way when I was, you know, six, they're probably that way when I was, you know, Children, babies in particular, they get cues for connection by things like eye contact, you know, returning smiles, just some sort of mirror reflecting that says, I'm here with you. I see you. I got you. And if they have that really consistently, then there's this kind of core belief that starts to form that says love is easily accessible. It's readily available. I have a lot of self-worth. These people value me and I can have my needs met. My goodness, a baby connection is literally lifeblood. If you don't have connection, you're not going to eat. Mm -hmm. You're not going to change yourself. You're not going to have any of that. So it's really, really in ways traumatizing for kids if they don't have that. And this could be as simple as let's say mom was just really, really anxious. And so she's, you know, maybe got a bunch of kids too. Like, let's give her all the compassion and benefit of the doubt in the world. You know, maybe she's, she's picking you up and running around and cleaning up and hardly ever making eye contact. Maybe you're upset and she, she can't really be there for you in the ways that, that you need, or, or maybe dad is just really emotionally unavailable because he's just working so much. He's busting his back to help this family, or maybe he didn't have, you know, emotional connection growing up. He doesn't know how to do it. He stonewalls, shuts down all that, right? My goodness, you're getting all these messages to your little developing brain that say, hold on, love, you have to qualify for it or it's not readily available or all of those things and they can affect you to become more anxious, 
more independent and avoidant, like, hey, I got to take care of myself because yeah. I don't know if people are going to be there for me. So looking back at your history a bit, it can also be really helpful in giving you clues to like, oh, where does this come from? From a place that's not angry and rude to yourself. We're like, I always criticize. I'm such an idiot. <laughs> okay, that's actually not effective. So quit doing that because it doesn't actually explain what's happening. If you stop the story at, I do this because I'm an idiot. It, I did a video on this today. Where it's like riding your bike through nails and then through mud and then blaming the mud for your flat tires. Mm -hmm. When in reality, what's under the surface which is found through compassion and curiosity is why you're doing this stuff. It's not because you're a bozo, you're an idiot, you're stupid, you're never going to get this right, or you're a bad person. That is not the explanation. That is not the explanation. And if you stop saying that, you're one step closer to at least finding the explanation. And finding it takes a lot of compassion, love, and curiosity towards yourself and your own history. And that's what I hope uh, all those who are listening can have the courage it takes to have that compassion and that curiosity to, to be willing to go to the things that are deeper and often harder and more uncomfortable to look at seemingly, yeah. but in the yeah. long run, not like this is what will pay for a beautiful connective relationship. Yeah, it's true. It's true. And, and you know, what? I, I empathize with those who, you know, are really hard on themselves. And they say like, I'm a terrible person, or they chalk it up to some character flaw and just end there. Because that sometimes that feels like accountability. You know, it's like, Oh, I got to be accountable. I value that. And that's beautiful. That comes from a good place. I value being accountable for what I do. And if I can say I'm an idiot, that feels like I'm accountable. Well, in at the end of the at the end of the day, you're not actually being accountable because you're not being accountable for the whole reason there's there's no power behind that hmm. and you also maybe on the other hand sometimes it feels like it's justice like oh if i tell myself i'm an idiot like good like justice has been served to me it's it's pseudo justice it doesn't actually make any sense you will not stop the crime right yeah. and i say a crime that's kind of harsh but like it's a crime against your relationship when you're you know, in this disconnecting pattern doesn't, again, doesn't mean you're a bad person. It means that you have some unresolved fears, maybe insecurities, trauma, what have you, that can explain why you do this. When you have an explanation, you have a path forward. Mm. When you don't have one, you're stuck in the cycle. It's so interesting, Trevor, because I, I, I primarily work with women for their fulfillment and their habits, but we have to start with identity. And as part of that, it's this, because there's mm -hmm. always, there's a reason you're not showing up to the laundry, like, or, you know, there's, there's always something deeper and that small way of me understanding this. And, you know, within my own marriage too, I just really hope again, that we can come back to please be willing to try and just yeah. start with what Trevor said is, is start with yourself, be aware of your own cycle and map it out. And we'll make sure we link to the resource that you, yeah. that you have. I would love to know where you want people to go who are like, I actually want like all of it. I, I yeah. want the, the whole course. I, yeah. I want everything that Trevor teaches. Where should they yeah. go? Absolutely. Well, I'll give you one one link that will have everything that you need. It, as a therapist, you're limited by location on who you can see. Mm -hmm. um, and so if you're looking for a therapist and you're in the state of Utah, Hawaii, and some international locations, I can help you there. But within that same link, it's the full stack. If you got this free resource, you got access to the connection course, which will be transitioning a little bit into like a built-in community. Sounds so amazing. if where you can actually get support from other people, I'll be on there. We'll be doing like weekly podcasts from other experts on topics that the community is asking questions about. Cause I know it's intimidating to buy a course and then be like, well, I'm a freak. I'm like alone in this. Like I have all yeah. this great information and I have no follow up. How, how do I do this? And so I'm trying to solve that problem. So that's kind of in the, in the making. Yeah. So that is where you can find all of that. It's just that, that one link. Okay. So we'll just say, look in the show notes that will yep. be there or go to Trevor's Instagram profile yep. and you'll see it there. Yeah. And that's just at the art of healing by Trevor. Okay. I love how simple that is. This has been wonderful. Thank you for being so willing to share your expertise with us today. And I'm, I'm really appreciative of your time. Oh, thank you so much for having me.
I hope this episode gave you the hug and kick in the pants that you need to grow. I'll now share the progress pointers from this episode, and that's where I share the notes I took so you don't have to. And those on my Go Get Our newsletter get this in a graphic form each Wednesday. I feel like every interview we've had this year have just had the meatiest, most beautiful progress pointers. And so I want you to know, you can always, if you're on the newsletter, just email us back from a newsletter that you get and say, hey, I want this episode's progress pointers, and we will send them to you. Number one. You cannot avoid conflict. Strive to make it healthy because healthy conflict creates healthy, connected relationships. Number two, unhealthy conflict really is rooted in negative attachment messages that are getting sent back and forth, plus adding in the response to and reinforcement of those messages. It becomes a cycle. Number three, if you are dealing with chronic unhealthy conflict, start by mapping out the negative cycle and recognize the fears, messages, and the needs that are playing out on each side underneath the surface. Number four, the goal is to do this in a connected, attached way. That happens best when both partners self and co-regulate. The opposite of criticizing is inviting the opposite of withdrawing is engaging. And number five, start with yourself, including exploring your attachment history with compassion and curiosity. Your do something challenge this week is to show up to your next conflict because it's going to happen as we learned with gentle and compassionate curiosity. We're just going to start with that lens. Funnily enough, lots of our episodes in February happen to be about relationships, which is quite fitting. Last month, we also had one with Kwame Christian on conflict as recovering people pleasers. And I recommend that one in particular as almost the second or even first part to this episode. Before we say goodbye, guess what? I'm on maternity leave. And that means while I did the work ahead of time to make sure this podcast is still going, my own marketing of the podcast is taking a major back seat to me cuddling my baby and doing tons of laundry. And because of that, I rely on you, the listeners, to ensure that this podcast is being heard by new people. So if you could share this episode with even one friend today, I'd be so grateful. And bonus points if you leave a rating and review on your podcast app. Thank you for stepping up in ways I am choosing not to right now. And thank you for listening. Now go and do something with what you learned today. You can find Trevor on his super popular podcast and the podcast. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.